I love this question that Adrian Marie Brown offers us. How can we, the future ancestors, align ourselves with the most resilient practices of our species? How can we define success by the communities we're rooted in, by the ways we face the crises of our time? Lord knows there are some crises in our time these days. I grew up just outside of the city of Chicago, and I moved to Boston, where I still live. I moved to Boston in the year 2000 to attend college and get a degree in hand drumming, of all things. Does anyone else here have a hand drumming degree? Anyone? Okay, it's just, just me then. I was following this dream I had at the time of being a touring musician. I wanted to travel the world with some famous band playing every night of the week in a different city to crowds of thousands. I particularly remember my last semester of school as I was preparing for graduation and trying to imagine the possibilities for a musician's life ahead of me. In that last semester, it so happened, one morning, I stumbled into a classroom where two of my hand drumming professors were chatting together. One of them was talking about his schedule. He had just finished a two-week concert tour of Morocco playing with some incredible Middle Eastern band. He just got back the day before, and that afternoon he was headed off for a four-week tour of Europe, playing with a group called Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> oh, you've heard of them? <laughs> yeah, me too. I remember just wondering, could, could, you, could I even imagine a more perfect life than this? He pointed to his suitcase as he was chatting, and it was sitting there in the room, open, I remember that for the first time in my life, I felt jealous of a suitcase, <laughs> that I got to go on this trip with him, this tour. This guy was living the dream, and I was so, I was so amazed by this little conversation they were having. I kind of interrupted, and I said, are you, well, are you so freaking excited that you can't even stand it? And I said it just like that, <laughs> with, as the kids would say, no chill. And he shook his head a bit, and he looked down at the ground before looking back at me, and he said, you know, man, mostly I just want to go home and see my kid. Oof. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't, I didn't say it, but what I thought in that moment was, surely your kid is not as cool <laughs> as Simon and Garfunkel. But I was embarrassed by how tone deaf I'd been to the conversation they were really having. This teacher of mine, this hand drummer, he knew the value of music as well as anyone I have ever met. He understood deeply music's power to transform hearts, to bring people together. But even still, he struggled to balance those values with the value of his family and his home life. That open suitcase, I looked back at it, and it had just a moment ago been the ultimate symbol of success but all of a sudden it seemed to carry a very different weight. My unfolding sense of true success, of a life well lived, is that it is first of all a journey and not a destination that can be arrived at, and that it is second an increasing embrace of one's values, even in the face of increasing complexity. This reminds me of a poem by Naomi Shahab Nye a poem she called Famous. It says, the boot is famous to the earth, more famous than the dress shoe, 
which is only famous to floors. I want to be famous, she says. I want to be famous in the way a pulley is famous or a buttonhole, not because it did anything spectacular, but because it never forgot what it could do. Remembering what we can do, even in the midst of all that must be done. That is the work of we, the future ancestors. Rabbi Tarfon spoke of this in the Talmud in the first century AD when he said, it is not your responsibility to finish the work of perfecting this world, but you are not free to desist from it either. My hope for my days and for yours, dear ones, is to attend to the complexity of our times with our best selves and to root ourselves in communities doing our best to honor our ancestors and all generations to come. My hope is that we can set aside the stories we've been told or made up along the way about what success is supposed to look like. I hope we can set aside the overly simplistic stories we've been told about who we're supposed to be or who we are or what our gender is supposed to mean or what kind of work has value enough or whether systems of injustice are tolerable just because they are normal. Growing up at any age is about growing into our values, about adapting to complicated times with grace and courage, and about remembering what we can do even in the midst of all that must be done. And when I think of redefining success, and when I think of our movement ancestors who lived deeply into the crises of their time, I sometimes remember this story about one of our Unitarian ancestors, William Ellery Channing. Now Channing is remembered as one of the great founders of Unitarianism. He was a brilliant preacher and he was dedicated to justice and he was a powerful voice for abolition in his time. But we know that success is more about the journey than the destination. And that was true even for Channing who wasn't always so vocal in his opposition to slavery. The thing was he had always agreed with the goals of the abolitionists, but he didn't always love the way they went about things. He didn't love some of the personalities that were leading the movement. He didn't love some of the messaging, some of the ways they went about things. He thought the organizational politics of it all were a bit too complicated and messy. In particular, what he didn't like was how emotional and overly passionate the abolitionists were. The way they spoke seemed so unreasonable, and it reminded him of the itinerant revivalists that were sweeping the country at the time, the circuit riders. Now, you should know the only consistent thing in my life since college is my job as a circuit riding itinerant revivalist, but that's okay. <laughs> I don't take his comments personally. So one night at this anti-slavery forum, all evening, Channing has been criticizing the movement, criticizing the people, criticizing the messaging, and Samuel May, a more active abolitionist, a leader in the movement, eventually can't take it anymore. And so he interrupts Channing and saying, says, Dr. Channing, I am so tired of these complaints from you. It is not our fault that those who might have conducted this great reform so much more prudently than we can have left us to manage as we may. It's not our fault that those who might have pleaded for the enslaved so much more wisely and so much more eloquently than we can have been silent. We are not to blame, sir, that you have not spoken. 
And now, well, now that inferior men have begun to speak and begun to act against what you acknowledge to be an awful system, well, it is not becoming of you to complain of us that we do it in an inferior style. Right? This is what the kids call a sick burn. So sick, in fact, that Channing was unable to answer this rebuke until eventually he looked Samuel May in the eye and said, Brother May, I have been silent for too long. I love that this story depicts the very moment that Channing took up the work of a life that would resonate with his ancestors and we, his future descendants. The very moment he took up the work of attending to the crises of his time, not to finish it, but never to desist from it either. I love this story because I have so often been in the place of Samuel May. Too many times I've ended up arguing and debating with so-called allies who share my values, who share my goals, but they would rather criticize the work from afar than get scuffed up in the fray of real change themselves. It's infuriating. But I love this story because, because I'm just as often in Channing's place. So many times I've blamed other people's, other people's failings. I've blamed other organizations' messiness for my own silence and my own inaction. And too many times I've left my human family to suffer because I was holding on to some abstract sense of moral purity. Dear ones, if you say you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have already taken sides with the powerful. And if you say you have taken sides with love, but you have been silent and inactive in your position, you have in fact remained neutral. Now, it can feel easy to look back at history's great debates with the clarity of hindsight, knowing who was right and, on, and who was wrong, but we should remember that the 13th Amendment that eventually did outlaw slavery in this country left an exception for those who have been found guilty of a crime. And then suspiciously, suspiciously our country began finding more people guilty of crimes than just about any other in the world. And so just last year, the ACLU found and reported that in 2022, Forced labor in U.S. prisons generated $11 billion in goods. Forced labor is still big business in our country. And they generated that money while paying out an average of 13 cents to 52 cents an hour. Unitarian Universalists, as a denomination, have covenanted, we have agreed to abolish this prison system as we know it and to build something new and something better in its place. If putting large numbers of people in cages made us safer, we would live in the safest country in the world, but we do not. And if increased funding for police made our country safer, we would live in the safest country in the world, but we do not. Imagining something different though, and un undoing a system that is so enmeshed in our society, it is not easy. It is complicated. Perhaps Channing had missed that day in school, the day when the teacher explained that even when we have hundreds of questions about how to go about our days, 
hundreds of questions about how to make a difference. Even when we have more questions than answers, it still adds up to something. Our children will someday tell similar stories of us, beloveds. Stories of a time when the world was changing fast. Surely they will tell of the 2020s when climate chaos arrived with devastation in our cities and neighborhoods. They will tell of a time when a pandemic came and not only made visible but exacerbated the inequalities we were living with. They will tell of how we put our neighbors in cages by the millions. And surely they will speak of how premeditated wealth inequality made every one of these crises more difficult to address. But I hope they will have other stories to tell. Stories of communities and congregations like this one, when people came together to do together what none of us could do alone, to make a concrete difference. I know they will tell the story of Black Lives Matter, the story of the Me Too movement and the Sunrise movement, those that called us to our best selves and helped us imagine a better world and then worked to make it real. I hope they will tell the story of those communities that came together even when the people were complicated and even when the path was unclear because, dear ones, the people are always complicated and the path is always unclear. The work of future ancestors is a journey, not a destination, and true success means increasingly striving to embrace our values even when the world is increasingly complicated. Writer and atheist prophet Ta-Nehisi Coates spoke of this. In a letter to his son, he said, history is not solely in your hands, but still you are called to struggle. Not because it assures you victory, but because it's what assures you an honorable and a sane life. Now there was a time that I thought success was traveling the world with some famous band. And, well, the truth, between you and me at least, is that if Paul Simon called me up this afternoon, I'd be on the next plane out of here. <laughs> but I know it's more complicated than that now. I know that success can also be just finding a way to support your family when housing costs are too high and the minimum wage is too low. It can mean finding some way to make the world better even when we have more questions about it than answers. Love, which is the beginning and the end of the story of Unitarian Universalism, means acting for compassion and for justice even when the people are complicated even when the path is unclear. An honorable struggle that Coates spoke of means taking up the work that is ours to do, not to finish it, but never to desist from it either. And so, beloveds, may we live deeply into the journey we will not regret. May we aspire to the fame, the fame of the boot and the buttonhole. May we never forget what we can do, even when we're feeling overwhelmed by the list of all that must be done. And may we love each other deeply, growing the messy and beautiful and holy communities that make a difference, that make the world a better place, and make this life worth celebrating. May it be so, and may we make it so. Amen.